Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Jesus is coming back. This is what we believe. This is something that we can be absolutely, completely sure of. Uh, The details around how he's coming back, that can be a bit hazy sometimes. We don't know all those things. But we do know that he is coming back. However, when we think and when we teach about this topic, it is something that we often get quite wrong. Um, And we often get it wrong in two ways. Uh, The first of those two ways is we often make it far too complicated. We make it more complicated than it actually is. If you look at the uh, slide that's going to come up now, this one here, uh, we have a series of words, a glossary of words, uh, that all relate to things about Jesus coming, whether that's before, during, or after. So they are post-millennialism, pre-millennialism, pre-tribulationalism, amillennialism, historicism, the apocalypse, preterism, futurism, idealism, the rapture, end times, eschatology, Armageddon, general resurrection, second coming, the church age, tribulation, eternal state, the millennium, the sevenfold spirit of God, and apocalyptic literature. Now, as soon as you start like reading books about Jesus' return, you start coming across terms very much like this. And that creates a problem, because almost no one has the foggiest what any of those mean. No one knows what they mean. Well, some people do, but most of them have PhDs. Now, these are the result of a good 2,000 years of debate, a very necessary debate and discussion and academic thought. And they are fascinating ideas. And I would, I would love for you guys to spend some time thinking about them. But you don't need to know them to know the wonderful truth that Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. Uh, so the first thing we do is we make everything too complicated. The second is we pretend to know far more than we actually know. So if you want to bring up the next slide... This one here. So if you Google Jesus' return, you'll come up with these sorts of things here. And these are books, they are articles, they are ideas that answer questions. And they answer questions that we all really, really want to know the answer to. They're all thinking, what's the answer? What's going to happen? And these books tell us. These articles tell us. Unfortunately, a lot of them are just speculation. They're pretending to know things they don't know. And that can be unhealthy. And it can be just false. And when we do either of these two mistakes, we can end up quite confused. And because we're confused, we can end up just ignoring the whole topic altogether. Or we can end up just being passionately going down a road that is wrong. And when we do either of those things, we end up missing the wonder that is Jesus' return. We end up missing the simplicity of his return. And we end up just missing the fact that he's just coming back. And that's wonderful. So today we're going to think about the God who walked 2,000 years ago on this earth and one day will come back for his people. And we're going to focus on what that means for us. So if you have a Bible with you, could you uh, please turn to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. And we're also going to read chapter 22, 12, 21. Don't worry too much if you don't have a Bible, uh, because it will appear up on the screen behind me. So Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. 
and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And then chapter 22, verses 12 to 21, say this. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all those who love to live a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. He who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. Isn't that extraordinary? I honestly think it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever read, one of the most beautiful things you can find in any literature across any culture. Uh, But to be honest, I am skipping to the end of it, right to the end of the Bible, past all the details, and to the result of what it looks like when Jesus comes again to be with his people in the new creation. We are right at the very last things of the Bible. Those are the last words that are in the Bible. But what these tell us is that our destiny is not on clouds high up in the sky playing harps and singing songs. Our destiny is in a city. Our destiny is not as spirits disembodied, but it is physically on a new physical earth with resurrected physical bodies living a physical life with God. And even better than that, it says God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. And they will be his people. God will be with them. Do you hear that? God will be with them. So the most important thing about the Christian view of life after death, of life at the end, is that God is there. 
and he is there intimately with us. And we as creatures of flesh, of blood, and of spirit will be in flesh, blood, and spirit physically in the presence of God. There might be some here who who don't believe any of this stuff, who who don't believe in God, don't believe there will be an end like this. Let me me tell you what it feels like uh, when you do believe these things. You feel a warmth deep down your soul and you go, really? I could be with the one I love. I could be there at the end with him. And you feel a yearning for that moment. Even amongst all the worries and the hurt and the pain and the suffering, you yearn to be there with God. And for those here who have experienced something of God, who have had moments when they really experienced God's presence closely, that would have probably been comforting to you. That would have been amazing to you. But that is only a glimpse of what waits for us at the end of time, when we will be in his presence always and completely physically there. And when we are there with him, he will bring peace. It says he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Jesus will be so close to us. God will be so close to us. that He'll be able to reach out his hand and wipe the tears from our face. It is very deliberately the image of a groom standing before his bride at the altar reaching out and wiping the tears of joy from her face as they prepare to say their vows together. God's presence with us is a comforting thing. It will be a restoring thing. And there will be no more death when God is there. There will be no more pain. There will be no more crying, except crying in joy, because there will be no need to cry for any other reason. And we will have rest. Do you want that rest? Do you want that love? That's good. Because there will come a day when our desire for that love, when our desire for that rest will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. A couple of weeks ago, I was on the Mighty Oaks coffee van on Lothal. And a man came up to me and uh, he asked asked for coffee, so we gave him some coffee. And then he asked why we were there. A lot of people do that. And we tell them the same answer. We are Christians who just want to bless uh, the local area at Lothal late on a Friday night. And he said, oh, that's great. In his experience, Christians are lovely people. But then he said he will never, ever, ever believe. And he said suffering proved that God isn't real. For him, he said Hitler was a scientist and the Holocaust was his experiment. Because the Holocaust happened and God didn't stop it, that means God can't be real. He also talked about his mother who died when he was young. He said, God would never have let my mom die when I was so young if he was real. He would never have let me be alone. Now, his logic is simple. If God is real, he would do something to solve the world's problems. If God was good, he would do something to solve the world's problems. And because there are still suffering, there are still problems in this world, either there is no God or he is not good. And that's some pretty good reasoning. But it's a reasoning that misses things out. And one of the things that misses out is Revelation 21. Because Revelation 21 says that God is doing something. God is solving the problems. He is at work in the world, and one day he will march triumphant, banishing sin, suffering, and pain forever. And he will draw close by to us. And we will know he is very real. And we will know that he is very good. And he will wipe the tears from our face. Until then, we must be patient. We must be confident that he is doing good work in this world. 
and he is gathering as many people as possible into his church to prepare for Jesus' return. Now, this is wonderful, but there is something glaringly obvious that we're actually we're sort of missing out. Uh, a few years ago, uh, I was a relay worker with UCCF. That's the Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship. And what the relay worker does is they spend time mentoring students, they spend time doing evangelism, and generally helping students on campus reach out and spread the gospel to their friends. And the year-long program starts off with a two-week-long residential trip in Wales. And I didn't get the best start to this program because the day before, I moved house. And due to what my housemates call a logistical mix-up, none of them happened to be in town to help. And that means I had to move all their stuff by myself. Uh, They were meant to be there, but then they all ended up not being there. And that meant it took me 24 hours to pack, to clean, and to move everything. I started at 9 a.m. on one day, and I finished at 8.30 a.m. without break the next day, and my train to Wales left at 10 a.m. To make it worse, I was suffering with pretty severe tonsillitis at the time, so it wasn't a great experience. And when I pulled into Church Station near the Welsh border, I had had one hour's sleep in 32 hours. And when I walked into that greeting hall, and I saw for the first time all the people I was going to be working with that year, I was overwhelmed with how confident they were, I was overwhelmed with how extroverted they were and how they all seemed to be of a social class that was much higher than me and they already all knew each other. And I couldn't help but think, I don't belong here. I just want to go to bed. I don't know if you have an experience where you thought, I don't belong here. Well, sometimes when I read Revelation 21, I look at that scene, I look at that and I think, I don't feel like I belong there. Perhaps you've ever, you felt that yourself. Because I see God, and I see his people, and it looks wonderful. And I I wonder if I could be included in that moment. Do I deserve to be there? Because I'm not perfect, and that looks pretty perfect. I'm quite temperamental. I'm prone to overworking sometimes and to being incredibly lazy other times. I can be naive. I can be stupid. I can be thoughtless. I can be dismissive of others, and I can be unkind. So surely... Surely God wouldn't want someone like me there. And unfortunately, when I have a closer look at the passage, it doesn't immediately get any better. Because it gives us a handy list of people who don't get in. And it gives us it twice for emphasis. It says, cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars. And that's a really annoying list because I'm on it. And I'm on it more than once. Am I a coward? Yeah, I could be a coward from time to time. Who, who isn't? And for a lot of those things, Jesus actually says that if we even fantasize about doing those things in our heart, it is like we have done them. You ever consider do, using your position at work to get some favor or clocked in a bit early? That's corruption. You ever wished harm upon someone else? Jesus says that's as bad as wanting to murder them. You ever committed sexual immorality in your heart, fantasizing about something that you know can't happen and shouldn't? As for witchcraft, have you ever checked a horoscope? As for idols, have you ever put anything before God in your life? That is what the Bible classes as idolatry. And I think every single one of us knows that we lie from time to time. We are all liars. So a lot of those things on those lists, they apply to me, some more than others, but they apply to me. I look out this room, I see good people, but it 
they probably apply to you too, because we all do this stuff. So Jesus is coming back. God is going to make everything new. But when I look at that scene, I can't help but think to myself that I don't deserve to be there and I shouldn't be there. But the fortunate thing is, this is not where the story ends. And there is more to it than that. Because in chapter 22, verse 14, we read, Blessed are those who wash their clothes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. And what does that mean? It means those who are washed clean enter. You see, on the cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus swapped places with us. He suffered the pain of separation, the pain of being cast out of God's presence, of being cast out of God's peace, of God's joy, of God's love. And that means that we can take the place that he deserved inside the presence of God. And because he is an eternal being, he won enough space for all of us. And because he's an eternal being, he won it all in a few hours on a Friday afternoon so that he can actually come and join with us there. See, the gates to the city are actually blown wide open by the cross. The entry fee is paid by the cross. We are washed clean by the blood that was shed at the cross. Are we on the list? Yeah. But we can still come in because our sins no longer hold us back. Those things no longer identify us. All we need to do is go to Jesus and accept the swap. All we need to do is metaphorically wash our robes and we'll be cleaned of our past. So what? You don't deserve to be there. I don't. But Jesus does. And he has prepared a place for us there. The place that he deserved, he has prepared for us. And don't think you're getting in via the back entrance either. Don't think you're getting in because you're a charity case, that they'll sort of uh, usher you in late into the city of God at the end of, end of the world and uh, sort of not really look at you. That's not what's going to happen because in verse 17 it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Come here, all those who are thirsty and all those who are in need. It is not that you are being let into the city of God. You are being called in. You've been called in now to the kingdom so that one day you can be called in then into the city. So that Jesus now can care for you and then he can give you the life that we were always meant to live with him in peace, in joy and in love. But this brings us to a question. What does this change about our life right now? This is all great. This is stuff that's going to happen in the future. It's great to think about. But what does it change about today? Well, the first thing it does, because it does three things. The first thing is it gives us hope. Everything's going to be all right in the end. There is suffering in this world. There is a lot of suffering in the world. You just have to turn on the news to see it. And there is suffering in our lives. There is no one in this room who is immune from that. And I think we all know that. And sometimes it can seem hopeless. Sometimes it can seem like we're trapped in it all, that it's never going to come to an end. I mean, just look at politics at the moment. There is chaos and there is confusion and nobody knows what's going to happen next or if it's ever going to come to an end. But Jesus' return, despite all this, can give us hope that there is a happy ending. We know how it's all going to end and it's all going to end in peace in paradise, and in the presence of God. So we don't need to despair when things go wrong. We can have hope. 
It's like we're living a novel. And it's like we've been given the chapter at the end so that we know everything's going to be all right and there's going to be a happy ending. The second thing this does for us is it tells us this hope that we have is not now, is not in this world, but it is in the next. When we read the Bible, we can see lots of things. We can see that God promises peace. He he promises victory. He promises prosperity. And something we can do is we pray really, really hard for those things, and we can be disappointed when a check doesn't arrive in the mail. This is a big mistake we sometimes make. And it's preachers make it. We make it all the time when we're, when we're preaching. What, what, what we, we know, or what we say, is we say, God will give us those things now. We say, since God promised those things, we can have them now. He will make our families perfect. He will make our financial difficulties, our overdrafts, our credit card debts, our student lo- loans go away. He will give us 2.5 kids and a comfortable life in the suburbs. And we know that God does do wonderful stuff, and he does do some of that stuff for us. He does heal. We know it. We see it all the time. But for most of us, that healing will not be complete until Jesus returns. Our financial security will not be complete until Jesus returns and makes it so we don't need money anymore. Our peace will not be complete until Jesus returns and he abolishes all wars and strife and pain. And what we will find is at the end, we receive far better than we ever expected, far better than I can tell you today, and far better than we will ever long for. The third thing, third way this should affect our life, is it should make us prepare. Uh, Does the band want to come back up? This should make us prepare. And how should it make us prepare? Well, look at that list. If you know Christ today, if you know Christ took your place on the cross and paid the price for you, then it's time we started acting like it. Are we, even though we know what Christ has done for us, cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers and liars? To a degree, we are, yeah. We still mess up. But those things no longer define us and no longer hold us like they used to. We are people who have swapped place. And it is a little bit silly sometimes when we play with the things that we won't be able to take with us anymore. We need to prepare by leaving those things behind. And with the hope of the Holy Spirit who lives inside every single person who believes, our lives should be moving away from those things. And they, because one day we will stand perfect before God and we might as well start preparing now. However, today if you are unsure if Jesus took your place or you don't think he did, then you too can prepare. Because you have a decision to make. Do you want to spend forever with God? In his peace, his love, his kindness? Or do you want to spend without it? Because if you choose the latter, you should be prepared to spend forever without God. Without his peace, his love and his kindness. But why not come into the city? Why not come into the city where the gates are wide open and God calls all who are thirsty, all who are struggling, all who are suffering to come in and drink, to be healed to find comfort. Because the price has been paid, all you need to do is accept the swap. And pray that Jesus might take your old life to the cross and let him give you a new one. Should we pray together? Lord Jesus, we ask you to return soon. We ask that you might prepare us for your return. That you might, by your cross, 
Help us to get ready for when you arrive. We lay down the things of this world and we focus our hearts on you. Return, Lord Jesus. Return soon. Amen. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.